Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at youtube.com slash cover3 and wherever you get your podcasts on demand. Thanks for hanging out. Smash the subscribe. Smash the like. Come and join us in the chat. Very, very busy show here on a Wednesday. Uh, We are going to have our big game breakdowns, taking a look at Alabama, Texas, and Colorado, Nebraska in BG. Yeah, BGB. That's big game breakdown. Uh, Also, we're still going to bring back our game draft. It's a lot of non-conference matchups, a lot of good non-conference matchups. And chat, hey, 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 I I don't know if Jordan's let you know. Chat, you're going to have a say. Chat will be drafting uh, for us today. But uh, before we also get to Pole Assassin, our first Pole Assassin of the year, a new Top 25 was released on Tuesday. But we've got to rewind just a little bit, a first chance to react to a stunning result on Monday night in Durham. Uh, Duke 28, Clemson 7. Duke, Duke won this game. From the start, Duke was physical, brought the fight, and looked every bit the equal of Clemson. And, you know, we we talked about the the manner in which the game might play out. None of us were out here saying, like, oh, Clemson's going to blow them out of the water. If Clemson wins, the defense is going to put the clamps on them. That was the assumption. Riley Leonard had a tremendous performance in this game. But there's also the Clemson side of this, which is... How much alarm should we have about the Clemson Tigers given the loss that we saw on Monday night? Quite a bit. Yeah. Now, look, if they played this game again, would I pick Clemson? Possibly. Clemson did some good things. I didn't think Klubnik was actually all that bad. The numbers weren't great. I mean, 43 attempts for 209, but we'll get to that. They had a 60% rushing success rate, 45% overall success rate. So I didn't think the offense was like that out of rhythm. The really concerning thing for me here, Chip, is that Duke basically just played match quarters and some like man rat against these guys the entire time, which is basically Duke saying, hey, Clemson receivers, y'all suck. Mm -hmm. We don't think you're any good. Now, look, there are some teams that can get away or should be able to get away with playing man coverage or man-type concepts predominantly against Clemson. Those teams are like, Alabama, Georgia, Michigan, if they're right, like a Florida State or Florida, right? You know, like occasionally NC State's got a great pair of corners. They do this year. Duke is not one of these football teams that should be able to man up your corners and just spit on, or man up your receivers for Clemson and just spit on them. We talked about this over the summer, though. Like, do they have dudes? 
Do they have anybody who actually scares you at receiver? And why aren't they using the portal? Georgia went and used the portal. Hell, you know who will use the portal pretty effectively at receiver? Mike Norvell and Florida State, team you're going to play in about three weeks, is probably going to put it on you. Like Keon Coleman, if you had Keon Coleman on, on this mm. Clemson football team, imagine having Williams as a two. Williams is a fine two. They're just missing that cleanup hitter at receiver. I also wonder if, like, culturally, some like in, in the NIL era, if some of this, like, rah-rah family stuff, I, I don't know, man. It, do you, did you see... Did you see the, the the player just whiff Dabo on the handshake? Uh-huh. Is there is there stuff going on there at Clemson? No, I think you're just frustrated and embarrassed. I, okay. I saw that too. You know, he Dabo's going for the handshake and you know, kind of kind of went right by him. I I believe that that was a spot where they were not um man, this is so tough because it's a lot of projection, but I would not be surprised if someone inside that program said we were not mentally prepared for that game. That they showed up and why? I mean, like this is not a nine-win football team with an NFL quarterback you're about to play. It's not like they have anybody on deck. There's no, there's no over. Like I don't know who they play this week, but it's nobody good. Charleston Southern, right? Like, what? Why are you not prepared for that game? I, I thought that they were a little bit shell shocked early, and you mentioned it because when you overall look at the, you know, everything that happened. You say, okay, and, and Dabo Sweeney, you know, he had the line after the game. Um, we were undefeated in my time, and I believe 108 and 0 all time when we run for 200 yards and pass for 200 yards. When you have that kind of balance, right. when you are able to run the ball well. But there were 13 offensive drives throughout the end of half. There were 12 of them. Let's talk about how they ended. How about two red zone fumbles? How about also two missed field goals? How about also two turnovers on down in Duke territory and an interception near midfield? I mean, there is anywhere from conservatively 12 to aggressively 30 points that were left out on the board or on the field because Clemson's offense was not able to finish or they were making awful mistakes at the very worst time on a down-to-down basis. Like you mentioned the success rate numbers right there. It wasn't cause for concern. But at the same time, when you've got a new full-time starter, when you've got a new offensive coordinator, those issues, um, those are going to cause some alarm. It looked like a group that just was a little bit disheveled at the absolute yeah. worst times. Yeah, I'm, I'm dropping their power rating from like a, a no-doubt top 10 team to more of like the top 20 range. They don't look special athletically to me at a number of spots. Uh, I would I, And Chip, the, the, you pointed out exactly kind of why they lost the game, the outcomes down there. But I would ask, like, where, where's the explosive scores? Oh, sure. Right? Where, where, where's the ability to hit the easy button and hit the ball out of the ballpark, right? Well, they're what, just what, not, they what, don't what look What was special. your favorite pass play that Clemson had over 20 yards? It's zero, right? No, they had one, uh, okay. 20, a 21-yarder to, to Brown. Oh, what? just over 20. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. yeah I, like, I, I was on CBS Sports HQ on Monday night. I said they look regular. And it's like that is regular by a Clemson standard. And I'm glad you mentioned the power rating point because I was thinking they're closer to North Carolina than Florida State, and it's not even close. Like North Carolina and Clemson looks like it's going to be a competitive game. September 23rd in Death Valley, I'm not sure that I feel that way right now. And I think that Clemson, Clemson can run the ball and play pretty good defense against most teams on its schedule and go win eight or nine games. But unless, the they're, are better. unless they're able to like take a big step forward offensively, I think that our our run of twelve straight ten win seasons might be in jeopardy right now. Completely agree. Uh, uh, they've got two or three more losses in them for sure. I I, I think. Uh, 
because like this is kind of one you, you had to have. Like this is a game you can't drop. I, I think people would excuse a Notre Dame, a Florida State, if Miami actually played to its ceiling, a Miami. You can't lose to Duke, right? Like like that's just not. And I and look, all credit to Mike Elko. Obviously, like, like Clemson's going to do bigger number numbers for us on the ratings. They played really about exactly how they needed to play that football game, right? Limiting mistakes, opportunistic, allowing Riley Leonard to make plays with his arm and his legs and, and let let Clemson make some mistakes or, or force some if you can. But man, And look, I thought there were a lot of good good things for Clemson too, for sure. Like I don't think the program is like on the verge of collapse. No, um, no, no. But it's like we just need to acknowledge when there's – when it's not the standard, my buddy Joe Giglio always loves to say the standard yeah. is the standard, and that performance. Listen, Riley Leonard is a dude, but Riley Leonard outran the Duke defense down the sideline on a forty-four yard run on third down. Like you had to, you had to bring him down, and he was bouncing off defenders of Clemson. Like this is prob- problematic, uh, so, to say the least. Uh- one of the problems for Clemson is that Florida State and Duke run a very similar schematic defense, mm. but both coordinators are off kind of the same larger coaching tree. And what Johns and Norvell run, the the, the OC Kevin Johns for, for Duke, are also kind of similar. And I think for Clemson, it's good that you saw it, but you're about to see it turbocharged mm-hmm. so do you got about three weeks to come up with with some answers for like this is like you you flunked the pop quiz the real test is coming and the real test will be harder but at least you've seen it so we'll see clemson absolutely could could make improvements to a lot of things they did but they will not be getting better receivers in three weeks and i think that's they just don't look special on the outside to me they also only had four tackles for loss like i know duke is actually a pretty good team as far as avoiding tackle for loss and they always try to stay ahead of the chains, but is it problematic if Tyler Davis is one of your best players? Is that emblematic of the overall talent level on this team? Like, I like Tyler Davis, mm-hmm. but Tyler Davis ain't a first-rounder. He's like a good college player. Where are the, like, no-doubt first-round game records for Clemson? I Some of the guys I think they were counting on making that leap don't appear to have done so. They're still a really, really good football team. <clears throat> you mentioned uh, Duke's defensive approach to Clemson and how that messed things up. There's a lot of conversation among Clemson fans, and and I appreciate you bringing the schematic eye, but is the way that Duke played them what leads to a lot of side-to-side? Like, basically, Cade Klubnick is left just taking what is given to him, and that's checking down, swing passes, screen passes. It it just didn't even seem like there was a big attempt to be able to to move the ball down the field vertically. I I think early on... uh, Duke wasn't sure what Clemson had. As as they went on, I think they disrespected Clemson's receivers more and more. At halftime, Clemson led. Yeah. It was seven to six, but they did hold a lead at halftime. Uh, Duke going in, making the adjustments. It was kind of a similar theme to what we had seen on Sunday night, where LSU led 17 to 13. And then one of those other teams came out. You know, far, far different, of course, Duke and Florida State. So, uh, one last thing. I mean, oh, oh, go ahead. Two last things. Oh, yeah, we can, that's many. I, I want to like make the pregame sure stuff that, hey, this isn't Riley's offense. This is the Clemson offense. If we're going to get on Jimbo for, uh, 
for for saying that kind of stuff. You know, when, when people were asking him, he was kind of bristling at it with, with him and Petrino very early in the offseason. Mm-hmm. Look, Jimbo Fisher's called plays for a national championship team. Dabo, Dabo Swinney ain't never called plays in his life. If there's ego going on there, maybe I'm reading into that too much, right? Could be. If there's ego going on there, that's not a good fight to have. Because you know it and I know it as longtime ACC guys. Dabo is a manager of people guy, vibes guy, recruiting guy, getting everybody to play really hard and buy-in guy. I don't think anybody's ever been like, man, Dabo's amazing with the chalk. Not that I am or you are, but like among coaches. Right. Yeah, that's uh, – he did the same thing when Chad Morris left. And it worked. Yeah. Well, And he, he said, no, this isn't the, you know, Chad Morris offense. This is the Clemson offense. Chad Morris leaves. And then, you know, Jeff Scott, Tony Elliott, uh, you know, basically everything until Brandon Streeter got promoted was still playing like up at that really, really high, high level. Uh, I found it a little bit interesting um, because we've made a lot over, you know, Clemson and the you know absence of transfer portal additions in areas where it could help them. And then, you know, compare it to Florida State, a group where of the starting lineup on both sides, more than half of them started their college career somewhere else. Al Blades was out there making plays for Duke. And you know where Mike Elko got Al Blades? Mm-hmm. Transfer portal. That is somebody who Miles that, Jones. Like Transfer Miles Jones is out there. Jake Hornybrook on the uh on the offensive line coming over from Stanford. I mean I, I was only able to get to four or five when I was just counting watching the game, but that's four or five more contributors from the transfer portal that made Duke better on Monday night that Clemson did not have and maybe could have had. It is not just comparing Clemson to Florida State. Even Duke, and I, I love the, this line from Mike Elko. Mike Elko always talks about the transfer portal and says, you know, the big win that we had here was the players who decided to stay, and that is 100% correct. Um, they... They've got something special there going in Durham. I think it's sustainable. I think this is the fifth best team in the ACC. Clemson or Duke? Duke. Yeah, I think in that range. I'm moving them ahead. I mean, the schedule is still tough, but does it still look tough? Like our our whole conversation around Duke and the win total show is this team could be even better with everything they bring back with another year of Riley Leonard in Kevin John's offense. But, oh, the schedule's so difficult. They have to play Clemson, Florida State, Louisville, Wake Forest, North Carolina. How how are they going to be able to to get through? They're going to be struggling for a bowl. I don't think the schedule looks as difficult now because of what we've seen against Clemson. So really encouraging sign that Duke's starting offensive line held up. Mm Mm-hmm. My notes from the preseason O-line depth is an issue, so they have to stay healthy there. Like that's not unique to them. A lot of a lot of schools will tell you O-line depth is uh is important, but I think for them it's especially important. And that 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 stretch is brutal. Like UConn is playing pretty good football. North Northwestern's a complete joke, obviously. So like Duke's gonna be three and zero. but at UConn, host Notre Dame, NC State, at FSU, at Louisville, Wake Forest, at North Carolina. Virginia is terrible, but it's still a, a road game, and then you got to finish with Pitt. Like that's a that's a gauntlet. I mean, Notre Dame you, upset alert. I mean, I mean I'm it was you, I thought there were going to be more Clemson it. fans there too. Look, you know, they, like they I, can I, block Notre Dame. I think if you can block Clemson, you can you can block Notre Dame. I will pick Notre Dame probably to win the football game. 
depending on how they look this weekend, right? But it's not. It wouldn't be like a shocker if a team that's already beat Clemson also beat the Irish. Normally on Mondays, you know, we gather together 11 a.m. Eastern time. We do a pun further review. We also get a chance to look at the new AP top 25 rankings. We like to pick it apart, you know, compare it sometimes to our own ratings. Maybe we like to look at a couple of ballots or some interesting rankings. It is a segment that we like to call Pole Assassin. I am so happy with all of our new yeah. animations. And of course, Pole Assassin, we we love to uh, give thanks and credit, not just to our friend Gary Parrish, who's done a Pole Attacks column for a while, but uh, to Jeff Banks, the special teams coordinator at Texas. As always, um, be careful when you're trick-or-treating. Okay, so we do have some adjustments to the uh, AP Top 25. Most notable is going to be Colorado splashing in at number 22. Massive jump for the Buffs. Um, in the CBS Sports 133, where we actually put numbers on everyone, it's not just not ranked to ranked. Colorado went from number 85 to number 24, a 61 spot jump in those rankings. Uh, here, I'm sure it would have been something similar, but AP voters don't have the guts to rank them one through 33 like we do. Uh, Florida State all the way up from number eight to number four, and the second most first place votes behind Georgia, three, but still that's one more than Michigan and three more than Alabama or Ohio State. Alabama jumps ahead of Ohio State. Ohio State falling back two spots to number five. Uh, some other interesting movements include a lot more positivity behind the likes of A, Tennessee, of A, Notre Dame, both moving up a couple spots. North Carolina up four as well. In terms of the losers, LSU down nine spots to number 14, and Clemson just hanging on down 16 spots to number 25. Uh, the only teams to fall out of the rankings, TCU and Iowa. Uh, what stands out from the new rankings? So, as always, we don't really have defined parameters for what people are supposed to do. They, they get to vote really however they want. So some people will probably vote from a power rating standpoint, uh, and some folks will probably vote from uh, a, like a pure resume standpoint. And, of course, the resume stuff is always going to be weird early in the season. I, I think resume is probably probably the way to go if we think the regular season matters, right? Like what you do on the field should matter. But resume is a really flawed approach when we only have one data point. Uh, if any of you AP voters who are voting Colorado in the top 10 uh, would like to bet on that, Chip, I'm probably just going to retire from the show and I'll just take all y'all's bets because like Colo there ain't no way Colorado is a top, you know, like they're getting votes in the top 10 to be rated at, at 22nd, which is insane. But based on one weekend of football, if you're just a resume guy, I don't have a problem with that. And I know we're supposed to be more, more hot takey here. Uh, when LSU gets Mason Smith back, they'll still be a top 10 football team because not a lot of teams can take advantage of the back end and Wingo's a game wrecker and Smith is better. So they're going to have two D linemen that are going to just mess, mess people up, especially teams that don't throw the ball well. You know, Arkansas, Mississippi State, um, Florida, teams like that on the schedule, LSU is going to give a lot of problems too. So I totally understand their drop out of the top 10, but that was a uniquely poor matchup for them because of the receivers the Knowles have. And that's most teams on their schedule can't exploit that. Um, let me see here. What's the highest acceptable ranking to still have Clemson at? I mean, like I would favor them over Tulane. 
they are absent from a lot of votes. Their place at, from a lot of ballots, excuse me. Their place at number 25 is from still being at number 14 on one ballot, number 15 on another ballot. Again, totally absent from some uh, 20, then a couple of 22, 23, 24, 25. And like to get, not to get too deep in this, but some of those next teams up that were on a lot of ballots last week or in the preseason, South Carolina, they lost. Texas Tech, they lost. So there wasn't a, a wealth of other options to get on there. So what would you say is the highest acceptable ranking for the Tigers after the loss, in your opinion? Probably like, I don't know, 18. Like Clemson looked better than Wisconsin did to me. I mean, Clemson had like four turnovers and, and some really crazy stuff. I already said to start the show, I would still pick Clemson over Duke if they played again because, I mean, they, again, on a down-to-down basis, they looked okay. They just weren't able to hit the explosives. The explosives are sort of a limiting factor for their ceiling, but they're still not not a bad team, clearly, it, to me. Um, Ole Miss played an, an absolute nobody. So I, I could see them kind of high teens as, as appropriate given that they did lose the football game um, somewhere in that range right now. Danny brings up a good point. Like if if you're using just resume, because look at Danny using Wi-Fi on the plane. That's that's commitment to the show, man. Uh, if you're using resume, wouldn't you have Colorado top ten? Yes, but at some point, your subject subjectivity also has to come in, right? Because okay, who did they beat? TCU. Do we know if TCU is any good? We think so, but there's the subjectivity, right? They beat somebody who we think is good. There ain't new subjectivity about the fact that uh, they were three touchdown underdogs. They went on the road and won that. Those are those are just numbers. No doubt. Exa- exactly right. Where what do, uh, the, what do you think about the first place votes for the Knowles? So, so we got them. I got Brett McMurphy is one of them. Uh, David Jablonski from the Dayton Daily News is another. And ESPN's Reese Davis is the third. I know Brett came out on Twitter and said he had Florida State at number three in his preseason. He was one of the higher ones on the Knowles. Do you think that Florida State is the best team in the country? Uh, no, I, I don't. But I, I think that they are, just because the offensive upside, you know, pretty solidly top five. Anything else from the poll that stands out? I, people reacting to what Ohio State did. You know, Interesting, after one week, I, I thought Ohio State's defense was improved. Honestly, so uh, there's a lot of teams, though, that are sort of those kind of 15 to 20 ranking that look pretty good opening week. You know, Oregon State took care of business. Kansas State played a pretty good FCS and destroyed them. Uh, Oregon looks pretty good. So on my ballot for the CBS Sports 133, I, I moved Alabama up as well. I think some of the Ohio State-Alabama flip is just some positivity from Alabama. The only difference is I moved Alabama up to two. And I left Ohio State right where it was. I think that this is a, I think that shuffling those teams here in these opening weeks is fine because you're just continuing to add more information to what you expect over a group that is in a tier above basically everybody else. There's no way that you could watch the Bama game and the Ohio State game and tell me that right now, if they play tomorrow, that you would take Ohio State over Alabama. Right. Like, like middle and Indiana are. Similar quality teams. Indiana, I have a, is a little bit better, but it's like Indiana would not smoke Middle Tennessee State. Like they're they're fairly similar quality teams. Neither of them are like top half of the sport. Good. So Ohio State struggled with theirs a lot more than Bama did. Yeah, 
we had quarterback questions about both of those schools. We don't anymore. It's 42 to nothing before Tyler Buckner even came into the game. Like that's, that was not a battle that is playing out anymore. They might, Nick Saban might throw a bunch of oars on the depth chart again, but Jalen Milrow is going to take the starter snaps and maybe all of the snaps against Texas. I, I don't think that's a question until he gives up the job. You want to just get into that game? Coming up on the other side, big game breakdown. One of the biggest non-conference games of the entire season. It was a thriller last year. And now we get to see what happens in the return visit. Texas at Alabama. Big game breakdown. Next. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast. Those watching live at youtube.com slash cover3. You got to see a nice little promotion there because we've got another Double header last week. You know, we gave you that Ohio State, Indiana, followed by Wyoming getting it done on the field against Texas Tech. Uh, this week, again, a 3.30, 7.30 Eastern time kickoffs. Our 3.30 game will be UNLV at Michigan. The 7.30 game, UCLA, Dante Moore trying to win that QB1 job. They'll be taking it on San Diego State. But our attention right now, it goes to our big game breakdown. Big game breakdown as number 11 Texas travels to Tuscaloosa to take on number three Alabama. Uh, a one point result a year ago. We had Quinn Ewers come out, look amazing at the beginning of the game, and then got hurt. It was disappointing development, especially for those Longhorns fans. Quinn Ewers not hurt. And the offense locked and loaded. They came off the game against Rice. Alabama comes off the win against Middle Tennessee. Uh, let's begin with that Texas offense. But what can we take from the Rice result and project forward going up against an Alabama defense that you and I have discussed and referenced often might be the best in the country? How does that side, when Texas has the ball, what really stands out? What will you be looking at? So Texas definitely has weapons, right? Like they have three really impressive receivers in in Mitchell and Worthy as a newer. Uh, I think that I think that they have a really good offensive line. They obviously have a super super matchup problem tied in in Jatavian Sanders, and they have some young backs who I, I think are good players. And they have Quinn Ewers who looked pretty impressive in the spring, and all of the media narrative out of there is that he has continued. To improve. And it's one data point, but they didn't look great against Rice. It was slow. It was yeah. It, it was a little bit slow to get started. What's mm, no, yeah, I, it can be unsettling. I understand, especially in comparison to what we saw in Tuscaloosa. But. No, I for sure. I, now look, will Quinn Ewers get in sync with his receivers? Will the drop back game? look better like eventually they hit some wide open stuff and scored and, and they, they they handled rice kind of like you should handle rice and i do think that there's an element of i'm sure rice which has been kind of improving on the defensive front but still it's rice like that's not a good D, that's not a good d line relative to like big 12 standards certainly not to alabama standards that thing gave you some trouble so was it that you are not as good as people think you are up front or Maybe, maybe Texas has been prepping for Alabama for like three weeks. Rice threw some stuff at them that either they didn't prep for or 
they didn't know was coming and basically said, you know what? We don't care. We have been working on this Bama game because whether we beat Rice by 20 or 50, it doesn't particularly matter. Uh, and maybe they have something coming. I will say, like Sark, in these big matchup games, there's not a lot of guys who are better chip as far as figuring out matchups to isolate his playmakers on them, trying to make things easy for Quinn Ewers. To me, it's it, it's the offensive line. Like, has it taken the step that you need it to take? Because I do kind of think that Bama's front seven has taken that step. I I think Bama has the best defense in the country if they're healthy, which Key and Malachi went down last game. So we'll see if they play. But, like, those are two starters in the secondary who really matter to me. Texas running the ball, the numbers don't look fantastic. No from the rice game that seems concerning i know we got to see my guy cj baxter out there i know we've got a couple of backs that are all going to be in there but maybe that that speaks to the offensive line part where is the weakness like if, if sark is sitting here and he's knowing of course of course he's going to know what the alabama defense especially with kevin Steele back and nick Saban. i mean we're just like picking right out of the the classic nick Saban alabama defense book who Steve Sarkeesian, and we talked about this a lot about just Saban in general, has had to go head-to-head with that defense as Alabama's offensive coordinator and being a part of that staff. Where do you think the weakness is on this Alabama defense? Well, if if those DBs are out, it's it's clearly there. Okay. Right? It, it, You've got so many good weapons at wide receiver. We're going to yeah. trot out all these multiple looks and at some point find the duck. Whoever the worst player on the field is is going to get in, end up across from Xavier Worthy and it's green light go. That's what's happening. So the other point on this is I do legitimately think that Texas defense is pretty good and we'll get there. So if you're Sark, you're probably thinking, I need to score what, 30? To win? Can 28 win you this ball game? The, the total here is 54, right? Mm. So, I mean, the, the implied is is like 30 to 24-ish with, with, if you take the, the total. That feels right. And the spread. It, yeah, roughly so. So it's I don't think it's a game where Sark goes in thinking, hey, I need to score 38. I need to score 45. Can Sark create coverage busts because of his understanding of, of the coverage rules that, that Nick Saban's offense runs? Can he do so against Blitz? which will ultimately be a question of can Texas block Bama's like non-blitz pressures and force Bama to get into the blitz stuff more? I, th- I think your odds of beating it go up quite a bit if you're able to protect. I mean, this is just common sense. Yeah, if, if, if Bama gets home with four, then it's basically night-night, right? How will Texas handle pressures on the road? At times last year, they did not, Oklahoma State. At times, though, they did. They whipped Kansas State and basically just you know crushed them in the first half if you go back to that game, uh, Sark really got in his bag, man. He went, and they went like a bunch of unbalanced stuff. They understood the safety rotations of what Kansas State wanted to do, and they hit a lot of those those open side runs there and just messed up Kansas State's defense. Like They they got a couple – you don't want to call them cheapies, mm-hmm. but they were really scheme touchdowns in that game early, and it allowed Texas oh, to play with the, the lead. Same? No doubt. Right? That's yeah. what I'm saying. So – Yes, Texas has the ability to win some one-on-one matchups here for sure because they are, I think, that talented at receiver. How many freebies, how many WTFOs, right? What wide-open shots can you create if you're Sark to help out Quinn Ewers? 
the one read stuff, the stuff when you break the huddle, you're like, all right, if we get this look, this is the only guy I'm, I, I really need to look at. If not, it, it, and be okay with that because I don't think that they're going to consistently drive the ball down and down basis. This is not going to be a 50% success rate game or a 40%er for Texas. They have to find ways to create some explosives, whether that's a matchup one-on-one they like, uh, like jump ball type stuff, or if it's finding a way to create busts in Alabama's coverage. So the other side of this is Texas's defense going up against Alabama. Again, Jalen Milrow, we believe to be the quarterback here. Um, hard to nitpick too much though there there certainly are places where alabama had some misses where jalen milrow had some misses uh, against middle tennessee how what again it's tough we're looking at rice middle tennessee what's what's the key here for texas's defense going up against that let's say we'll start up front that alabama offensive line group that has took a lot of shuffling through fall camp caden proctor it's good to see that big boy out there uh competing at tackle in a game after uh, so much hype about him from the recruiting trail, uh, spring practice and fall camp. So how do you think it works? We'll start in the trenches when Alabama has the ball. Sure. So I, I would go a couple things here. One tackling is going to be really important for Alabama because I, I do think, or for, for Texas rather, excuse me, tackling really important for Texas. You're going to want to see if Milrow can consistently be accurate in that short to medium range game, because if he's not, then it's going to get them off schedule. And I do not have faith in Alabama's drop back game if they're behind the chains, really at all. Like, I did not see that from them in that game. Well, they Middle, didn't have much. I mean, wasn't there right. like success rate like 60%? Sure. And look at the spring game stuff, right? Yeah. Like, not, uh, it, it's not an element that they have showcased with Milrow. Go back to AM last year. Now, new, new offensive scheme, new coordinator, et cetera. Uh, I do think that Bama, though, is capable of creating some like some wide open stuff, some explosives on their own, as long as they're able to get the run game going a little bit. If you're Texas, being multiple, creating confusion for that that Alabama offensive line, which is super powerful, but middle, middle did it a little bit, man. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like, think about what TCU did te- to Texas last year. Like, they didn't whip them up front physically. They created a lot of confusion to where, like, some of their doubles were off and the backers were able to fill quickly. Getting Bama behind the chains, winning early downs, tackling well to where that that screen is tackled for three, not seven yards, not points, is going to be really critical here. And if Texas can create a lot of long down and distances for Alabama, I really like its chances. But if they don't, if Bama stays ahead of the chains, Bama will hit an explosive run or two, and I think that they have a chance to physically impose their will, and then they'll probably hit a play-action shot or two over the top. So really, it also comes down, and this is, not great analysis by me, but Bama needs its defense, I think, to hold Texas to the 20s or like very low 30s. If this becomes a game where they have to go out and score 40, I think the tide is in trouble. But if Bama's defense is as good as I think it is, then I think Bama could be able to play the game within its comfort level. Danny Cannell in the chat. We appreciate D- Danny. Danny in the chat Danny. on an airplane actually might be a reoccurring segment, you know, depending on his travel schedule with CBS. So, he mentioned the quarterback run game. You think that, yeah. the, let's say, over under 17 and a half rushing attempts for Jalen Milrow in this game? Designed or like we, we're counting like oh, against total, the style? Bo- yeah, yeah. Box like, score at the end. Box score at the end of it. That includes scrambles because look, him, confusion, 
blitzers coming from a different direction, him taking off running, like it, that's not a designed run, but if it gets him seven yards in a first down, then it is you know just as significant as anything else. 17 and a half is a big number. That's like Jeff Sims. Uh, I'm going to go under, but not by much. Like 13, 14, somewhere. Yeah, like t- two to three sacks, four to five scrambles, and probably like two design rushes per quarter ish. That that feels about right to me. It, if you guys did not watch the Middle Tennessee State game, guys, Milrow is a. There are very few guys in the country who can run like he can. Like he is a legitimate running threat, open field speed, but also like a big Cutback. kid. Oh, dude, he, like, like oh, his, yeah, his movement in the open field, he can bounce off guys. He can make guys miss. It is an electric experience yeah. to watch Jalen Milrow out there running the football. There's no doubt about it. Um, I, I, Yeah, I, I think Bama's really physical, and it's going to be on Texas to bring the physicality to this ballgame to stand up in order for to give Sark a chance to create some of those, you know, some of the chalkboard stuff. And that's not to say that Tommy Reese is bad OC. I don't think he is, but... Tommy Reese can can win this football game with a relatively straightforward plan. I think Texas has to win the coaching matchup to win the ball game. Ooh, and that's and that's a tough ask when we're talking about Steve Sarkeesian against Nick Saban. Um, yeah. Who needs this one more? I know this sounds crazy, but I actually think Bama. Mm. And they, they they missed the playoff last year. I think the last time Nick Saban has lost a non-conference regular season game was Louisiana Monroe. Oh, that's Wasn't a good it? nugget. Let's nail that like in. 08, they, they faced Clemson in the Dome, right, and they beat him. Um, they didn't lose in a regular season in 09 because they went – didn't they go undefeated in 09? I think. In the national championship? Yeah, yeah. Uh, 2010, they lost three times, but that was two SEC losses, South Carolina and somebody, and then they lost to... Auburn. Yeah, South South Carolina, Auburn, and then somebody in the bowl game. I forgot who it was. Was that the Utah year, maybe? Uh, But a regular season, non-conference game. I don't think they've lost since 2007. That was my my, my 1L year at Bama and Law School. I remember the the yellow school bus jokes because... because they, they they took the school buses up there allegedly from from Monroe, um, Tamworld. I, I mean, if you lose this game, and and, and you're Nick, I, I think that's tough, man. Like you basically have to run the table to get back into the playoff. So there's there've been two ways to attack this, and I've seen both cases presented. That Nick Saban, who has been very open in talking about his concerns about this football team and places where he thinks that you know the expectation maybe shouldn't be championship or bust. And, and he has identified specific concerns and big picture concerns that he has continued to say this very openly to the media. And on one side, we've been like, yeah, sure, whatever. It's Alabama. Like, well, you'll, you'll be fine. This is you know Nick Saban just nitpicking. Uh, Nick picking, let's call it. Or there is the we should have listened to Nick Saban refrain that we'll have if Alabama falls short and your revisionist history looks at the last two seasons and says, Bryce young might've been masking a lot of problems with his individual excellence. You know, is this the end of the dynasty? As Danny Cannell has said, if Alabama wins this game by 14 
points. If Alabama gets a double-digit win with physicality on defense, running the ball, and just simply being bigger, stronger, then I'm going to say, all right, it's just it is not the same Alabama, but it is a vintage of Alabama that we're used to. It's a 2015 Alabama, a 2016 Alabama. Jalen Hurts as a freshman winning a, a SEC Offensive Rookie of the Year as they're just able to play elite defense and physically overpower you at the line of scrimmage, hit enough explosive plays, win enough of those battles in the passing game that they're going to be able to contend for an SEC championship. If Texas goes into uh, Bryant-Denny Stadium and comes out with a win, then it's the, we should have been listening to Nick Saban the whole time because this might not be a special group. I mean, you're going to lose some really important players off this defense next year and off, off the offensive line, right? Like J.C. Latham, Tyler Booker, a couple other experienced guys along the line will be gone. Now, now they replace them, but those are pretty pretty high-level guys. A lot of guys on defense uh, are likely to be you know, gone to the draft. So I... I, I think Nick Saban likes this football team. I think he understands it's limited, but you're just having – I mean, I know you watch his press conferences all the time too. Like, Oh, he's been smiling he, more. Yeah. And he's, he, he likes the way they compete. He likes the edge. I think he likes the way they practice. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, like, like – now, it doesn't mean that they're awesome. Clearly, the passing game so far appears to be a limiting factor. Maybe it will explode. If it does, everybody else should just go home. Like, if Miller turns into a lead passer, it's – I learned nothing about the receivers from the Middle Tennessee game. Right, it, it they were run like, bys and middle, yeah. middle lost corners like like Decorian. Uh, help me out here. Who was the, who was the really good middle corner last year? Is at UCF now? Uh, Decorian Patterson. Uh, yeah, it, I mean like middle lost their good corners, so they were run bys for Bama totally. Yeah. Did did not seem like I was watching Alabama's wide receiver play level up in that game. Oh, they, hey, yeah, Tyler Booker's a sophomore. I thought he was. A, I thought he was a junior. I, that's crazy. That kid's a sophomore, by the way. Thank you for the chat for correcting me. Uh, that dude's freak. Okay, so uh, locks coming on Thursday, eleven a.m. Eastern time, so we can get our official picks. We'll be breaking it down and offering that. Uh, also, one other game we want to highlight before we get to our game draft is the encore performance for the Colorado Buffs now at home in Boulder. In comes Nebraska off the loss to Minnesota on Thursday night. Um, this Nebraska defense against Colorado's offense to me is where the entire game hinges because I simply do not trust Jeff Sims. I do not trust Nebraska's offense um, against Colorado's defense. Even if Colorado's defense was a little bit leaky against TCU, does Nebraska have the dudes to contain Shadur Sanders and Travis Hunter and Dylan Edwards, who especially at home, I'm imagining will be putting up more highlight real plays. Look at I know everybody's like really trendy. Hey, like uh, everybody's betting Colorado. You should take Nebraska here. I no. What, what did you see about Nebraska that you liked on Thursday night? I mean, the defense, I think, has a chance to be better than I than I realized. the The secondary is probably pretty solid, and I think the, they will be well coached on defense. Obviously, you know my thoughts on the offense coordinator hire. It it, it felt like charity. Uh, but man, I, I mean, Jeff Sims carried the ball nineteen times. A couple of those were sacks, but that's I think that speaks to the lack of weapons that Nebraska has on the offensive side. We'll we'll find out if if Nebraska can throw the football at all. We'll also find out if Colorado's defense is like they're clearly not a top half defense. Is Colorado like one of the 20 worst defenses in the sport? 
one of the one of like the forty worst. Because if, if Colorado has like a top eighty defense, they should clearly be favored in this game. But and they, they also all- had no tackles for loss and no sacks in like eighty plays against TCU, which is concerning. Did you know? Um, did you know about that Kendall Bryles story? That Dion told on the Pat McAfee show because I had not heard that story before. And for those who might not have caught it, just to summarize quickly, Dion uh, Dion Sanders told a story about being at a camp, and he didn't mention the school's name, of course. But he said that uh, that offensive coordinator, TCU's offensive coordinator, meaning Kendall Bryles, said we were Shadur and I were at a camp, and um, the off the coach didn't even talk to him, just left him off to the side. Uh, pushed him off to the side and and indicated that he was basically ignored uh, that before the game, Shadur Sanders made a point to point out Kendall Bryles and you'll want to make him pay for this. Now I, you know, the little bit of Wikipedia timelines, you know, internet sleuthing or whatever. So I guess we have to be talking about Kendall Bryles at Florida state, Willie Taggart staff, Shadur Sanders is, you know, very, very young uh, at this camp, but uh, it was, that was an interesting little – as if Colorado needs any more chips on the shoulder. Uh, it seems like Shadur Sanders was uniquely motivated to uh, to make TCU and Kendall Bryles pay in that situation. I mean, look, it's a national TV game. Um, you should be max motivated anyway, but like certainly I think it's a nice little revenge there. Uh, oh, so anyway, but- that's why I don't say tackles for loss as a big thing for Colorado because what offense were they going up against? No, that that's completely fair. Uh Sorry, By the that was way, a huge tangent for me to just be like, well, yeah, TCU gets the ball out fast too. I mean, look, like Shadur did not have an impressive arm in high school. I think he's gotten a little bit better in that area. And he's shown tremendous mental talent, right? Like working through the, his reads, understanding where to go with the ball. And I think his touch is better than it was. Sometimes guys just aren't great in high school and get better. Like, I don't think he was a high-level prospect coming out. He's, to his credit, I think he's put in the work to get better. And they have an offense that really fits him. Right, like that's not an offense where you have to drive the football uh, very much. Around the same time, a couple years earlier, if I can share this, I remember pretty, pretty vividly watching uh, three quarterbacks work out at Florida State's camp with Jimbo. It was uh, DeAndre Francois, uh, it was DeAndre Johnson, and then this kid named Lamar Jackson. And guys, sometimes guys who end up being good players are terrible in camp. Everybody was pretty excited to see Lamar throw, I think, because we had heard, we had seen some of the highlights. He put, like, every ball in the dirt. I'm, I'm sure Florida State still, ha- still has this camp footage. Like, it was their prospect camp. It's like, ah, man, like, this guy's just really, really raw. Not accurate. You know, just nowhere nowhere close to the target repeatedly. Guys do get better, you know? And, and like, to their credit, obviously, you can put in the work and get better. Um, and, and going to a place... If you're a recruit out there, that won't require too much of you early is also not a bad thing. With the transfer portal, go to a place where you'll play early. If you if you're a guy who needs to play early, and go to a place where you can get on the field, and then uh, if you're really really good and you dominate your level, move on up. Now, people will have a little more film on what Colorado does offensively. I'm not sure how much that'll matter because I think everybody kind of figured out what they were going to do, given that Sean Lewis is a really good coordinator hire for them. Uh, by the way, cover three uh, veteran Sean Lewis was, was on the right. show last year with us. Uh, they do a really good job of creating open guys, and Shador finds them and hits him fast. However, Nebraska's defense does a nice job of confusing people. So can they confuse them better than TCU did? I don't know. We'll see. It's possible. Defensively, 
Everybody's like, TCU should have ran the football more. You know who's not going to have to be told to run football more is Nebraska. <laughs> How much will TC will, will, will Colorado yeah. be able to load up against the run here? And can Jeff Sims in Nebraska make them pay at all? Now, uh, uh, Castaneda Garcia is out, one of their receivers who, who got hurt. So I think Washington came back. He was suspended first half last, last week. I'm trying to look at the camera more, look at my notes less this year, but that's roughly right in my head. We'll see if they can make them pay because if you're Colorado, you definitely want to load up against the run, even if it means allowing some explosive plays, right? But I want your notes. Don't don't let the chat bully you right, into saying, right. that, saying that your eyes drift too much. I know how many screens you have right there. I need all of that information here. And when it's just the two of us, we're just larger. In the four box, it's not going to be quite as noticeable. I, I think that this is all valuable. Do not let the chat bully you into not scanning across all the screens to get us the information. If I'm Charles Kelly, last thing on this, I know we have a game draft to get to. I'm just going all out to stop the run. Yeah. If, if Nebraska scores... 30 because they hit some explosive plays, but I get the ball 14 times at altitude and we get to play at my tempo and not Matt Rule's tempo. I think that's advantage Colorado. The okay. worst thing is like Nebraska's able to run the ball, keep that offense off the field, they get out of rhythm. You know, you, you Colorado you, you, has more high end talent. Yeah. The very top line is better for Colorado. More possessions in this game mean more chance that Colorado is going to win. The, the identity that I have put on this Colorado team is not dissimilar to USC. Different ceilings and floors, but just like, what am I expecting? I'm expecting that they can outscore most of their opponents just because they have unbelievable top-end talent and they're running an offense that is very difficult to stop, especially when it starts to get into a rhythm. I think they have to. Yeah. All right, you mentioned it right there. These are not the only two games. Week two is actually a little bit loaded. So we're going to do what we like to do, especially here in non-conference play. We're going to pick these games with a good old-fashioned game draft. Next. All right, if you follow uh, Tom on social media, then you probably have already seen just like heartbreaking stuff. Uh, his dog, Frankie, who he and Lynn love so, so much, um, you know, they, they had to put Frankie down. And so, uh, Tom is not with us right now. Send your love and your prayers, uh, to him as they, uh, they get through a little bit of a difficult night and day. So here's the deal. Bud's drafting for Tom and Danny, who, as we mentioned, is on a plane and maybe still hanging out in the chat right now. Chat gets a pick. All right. So we're going to, we're going to do a little bit of, uh, you know, figuring this out on the fly. Maybe we got some polls in here. Chat has a say in the game draft. The Danny and chat team will be third. Tom, which again is Bud in a hat, and Bud will be Tom, not Bud will be Bud, not in a hat, uh, is picking fourth. Oh, I Tom, don't have a hoodie. Okay, Tom I I is on uh, the clock at number one. What is your, and remember uh, for those who, who may not remember from last week, one early game, one mid game, mid like middle of the day game, one primetime game, and one wild card. Late night games count as primetime. And then what's our clarification from North Carolina App State? It's a 515 kickoff. You think that's a mid game or do you think that's primetime? I think that's mid, especially because it, the, the chance that it's over or mostly over, not to jinx your boys here, uh, yeah. is decent by the time the stuff uh, you know kicks off. Did you see the backup quarterback come in and ball a little bit for App State? I did. Yeah. That's, that's, it's going to be a, I'll go ahead and spoil it. It's going to be a firm stay away for me just because yeah. it's like, 
North Carolina should come out and handle business, but App State's going to come in fired up. And if that backup quarterback is playing with confidence and takes control of the offense again, it could get a little dicey. So, you know, it's a it's an expectations game. We'll see what happens. So you don't think you don't think North Carolina is super motivated to go play the team that dropped sixty one on them last year? That's again, I think that the defense will be much improved from the way that things went in the fourth <laughs> quarter of that game last year. That is one hundred percent for sure. Uh, all right, let's go. What is uh, what is the first overall pick? All right, Tom, we're sending you our love, buddy. Uh, remember, I'm Tom in a hat. I'm trying to think, like, what's Tom? Okay, guys. Um, I'm gonna go. Nebraska, Colorado, Big Ten West repping against all this Dion hype. And uh, I just ultimately a great, great breakdown that you guys just did on that. So Colorado, Nebraska for me. Thank you, Tom. And you do have Tom's board. So you are armed with his actual yeah. picks. Um, yeah, don't, not going to over overthink this um, at all. Uh, with the second overall pick, we're going to go Alabama and Texas. And, uh, and they're... You mentioned earlier you went to law school at Alabama. I've I've gotten a chance to be in Bryant Denny Stadium for some big games. It's a it's a scene for the real like the the capital B big ones. Yeah. Like I know that Nick Saban complains sometimes about students leaving midway through the third quarter. Um, when it when the big dogs are in town, it's a it's an amazing atmosphere, and I I think it's going to be one again on Saturday night. Yeah, I, I think they're going to sell this thing out pretty good. Um, okay, so chat. What's the Danny pick? Texas A&M Miami. God, excellent. Excellent game. Um, what Miami's defense under Lance Guidry delivers on all of your positives from the Lance Guidry hire. The Bobby Petrino taking over as offensive coordinator had it produced a great game for Connor Wegman, albeit against New Mexico but a great game for Connor Wegman in the Texas A&M offense. Do you think that success is sustained in Miami, not Miami Gardens, where are we? I don't know, wherever the stadium is. In Sun Life Stadium? Yeah, Hard Rock Stadium. But isn't it Miami Gardens? What's the date line? I don't know, who cares? Yeah, I, I think it is. Um, I have more faith in Texas A&M's offense than I do in, uh, in, in Miami's offense. Miami only completed one ball that went more than 15 yards in the air. I don't think that Van Dyke sees it real well, honestly. Like when SMU staff was there, uh, they have a reputation for being really good with the check with me stuff on the sideline. Mm -hmm. If you catch my drift and kind of schemed it up for him pretty good. And I, I think Miami's going to need to do a lot of check with me. If, if Van Dyke's going to cook in this thing is, is Van Dyke. Is he this is he is he a jag? Or is he a jag plus? He TBD? TBD on his jag rating? The arm is not jag. The arm is real good. It, we'll see. This could be. Okay. We'll see. All right. Um, these. So so oh these right here. Like I don't know that he sees it real well. Like yeah. I watch Miami, Ohio and Miami pretty closely, and I, I just I'm like, why? What? Why would you? What you see? That? Like, okay, so they're motioning Miami, Ohio. It doesn't look like Miami, Ohio gets their checks right, and he doesn't pick the right matchup. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. All right, we'll see. I mean, Texas A&M absolutely talented. It'll be fascinating. All right, Bud, you're on the corner uh, as Bud, no hat. So 
what are the picks? I mean, we got some really, really good games here. Um, wait, did I? Okay. So um, I'm going to start. I'm going to take Ole Miss Tulane. Mm-hmm. Tulane, a lot of experience along both lines of scrimmage. Michael Pratt at quarterback. And, and then I think truly one of the better coaching staffs in college football with what they do with their talent. Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin thinks he's the portal king. Mike Norvell, kind of, I think, would probably disagree with that after uh, Sunday night. But they still have a lot of talent, and and they always scheme up points. We'll have to see how well Pete Golding's new defense plays. I think they have some nice pieces over there. So this is a matchup that I'm really excited to watch. I think the SEC needs them to win this matchup after how last weekend went. Like You don't really need Ole Miss to be losing to Tulane. And then for the second one, I'm going to go with Notre Dame-NC State. Now, NC State hey. didn't look great. Yeah, they didn't look great. We we both know how this is gonna this is gonna be nasty. So I think that's probably the best remaining one to have in the noon window. So it gives me a nice uh a nice noon and afternoon slot. And then I'll kind of reserve my my later picks here, see if I can find some cool stuff in the evening time. But NC State's defense ain't no joke. So we'll have to see just how improved this Notre Dame offense is. So I'm very concerned about uh, NC State's offensive line based on the performance against UConn and the challenge of Notre Dame is is going to be massive. Uh, real quick, back to your Ole Miss Tulane. My favorite part about this game is that it has been circled as the big one for Tulane to be able to you know make that big national statement. Not that we are expecting the green wave to crash the college football playoff, but if you are going to be that team that is in the running for the New Year's Six, and that is you know, absolutely what Tulane wants to do, the reigning Cotton Bowl champs and all, this is the game that if you are able to win at home against a SEC top 25 opponent, having that win in your pocket gives you a little bit of wiggle room where you're probably still going to be highly ranked, even if somebody gets you during the regular season in conference play, you know, kind of a get out of jail free card of sorts for the new year's six run. Everyone's like, Oh yeah. Ole Miss got to watch out. Ole Miss got to watch out. Ole Miss is still the better team here, right? I, I think so. Yes. Okay. Like, like Tulane did lose Ty J Spears and, I will say Ole Miss has some guys out for this game who I think matter. Like I thought Caden Prescorn was the best tight end available in the transfer portal. And I think the kid they took from UTSA, the receiver, still has not practiced. Um, they had a linebacker get suspended for because he got arrested for some stuff probably shouldn't talk about on the show. And uh, you know, they had to kick Chris Marshall off the team, the Texas AM receiver transfer. So they they're kind of down some pieces that, who might matter. We'll see. Um, and then uh, the chat and Danny have teamed up for this sweet, sweet midday option of Iowa and Iowa State over under of 36 and a half for the Cyhawk Trophy. One of our favorite non-conference rivalries, a bitter non-conference rivalry. Iowa, Iowa State, chat and Danny doubling up. I mean, just... That's that's some unders. You got some rock fights, chat. Y'all are sick, and I love it. Texas A&M, Miami, Iowa, Iowa State. We don't want touchdowns. That's what the chat and Danny are saying. We don't want any of your touchdowns. Okay. Chat and Danny got places to go. They, they want these games to be over about two hours. 
They want to wrap them up just to be able to uh, to move on with their day. And look, that is that's one approach that you can take uh, when we're going through the game draft. Chat dead. I'm gonna play two nines. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna take us into. Uh, I'm gonna take us to an interesting spot for our good friend uh, Luke Fickle, because against Wisconsin. We made a, a big to-do about the way that the Badgers were able to run the ball against Buffalo. Mentioned it in a pun further review. They are hitting the road to go to Pullman, Washington. The Palouse as about a touchdown favorite against Washington State. Now, Washington State is going to offer its own challenges in Cam Ward and really test this Wisconsin defense in a way that could also force the hand of Tanner Mordecai. You asked me to pick today? I think Cam Ward is the better quarterback in this game. You asked me to predict, predict who's going to win this game. I don't have a ton of uh, confidence one way or the other. This is a big learn something type game here in the early part of the season because if Wisconsin handles business on the road in Pullman, now they return to Big Ten play here in the, the next couple of weeks. And, and I look at them as being deserving of that top tier in the division. However, things could get problematic if Washington State is able to stop the run, if Wisconsin ha- gets stuck in a lot of third and long situations, if Tanner Mordecai comes up with the kind of mistakes that can be backbreakers. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and double up. This is my prime time and my wild card going Wisconsin, Washington State. I like that. That's that's pretty smart there. So time, Tom time. Yeah, Tom time. Let's go, Tom time. Okay, so I'm going to go. I'm going to do a little double up late night action. Give me Stanford, USC. USC came out last week, handled Nevada with ease, and then Stanford came out and got the win on the island over Hawaii. It was, it was pretty impressive. Like they, they they got some difference makers. Bailey at defensive end, a nice tight end, and they seem to, to really know what they're doing under this new head coach. And then I'm going to stay not West Coast, but but out West a little more. Give me Oregon going to Lubbock. Red must Raiders win kinda... game. I mean, like, I'm not throwing must win game out here being serious, but given where Texas Tech was at, 0-2 is going to not feel good. And you can immediately erase the bad feelings of a lightning-delayed upset by taking down an Oregon team that looks like it could be really special. Totally. Yeah. I. I and there's some chance that Oregon is really, really good, but – that's going to be a hell of a home field for Texas Tech. Like they're still going to be really pumped. Backs against the wall. You're, you're right, Chip. It, it is must win. Okay, so I'm all locked out of being able to grab anything in the uh, prime time slate. Everything that I've got to get has got to come from the early windows, which is why I'm going to Lane Stadium. Boom, ding, 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 boom, boom, boom. Look, Virginia Tech on the low played all right against ODU. Grant Wells, a little bit below the radar, was able to take advantage of having some of those transfer portal additions and get Wait, that. Was that there, Sandman? Yeah. Okay. All right. I need a, I need a little bit lower. You need uh, you. Need, Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, there we go. Ding, 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 ding. All right. Um, and Virginia Tech 
handled business in a spot against a program that it's had some trouble with recently. So if you want to talk about a potential vibes game, they're getting Purdue off of the tough, you know, high scoring loss to Fresno State. Not a lot of defense in that game. You know, Purdue coming into town. Virginia Tech's got a real opportunity to be able to to start this year with a with a strong, strong start. I'm it's a little bit of a sick game, but there's some there's some gotta have it with Purdue in a tough spot. And I think that Virginia Tech's going to play with a little bit of confidence. It, again, it was ODU. I'm not sure that we are going to see the type of efficiency and effectiveness that we saw in the opener. But on the like, you know, 20th note on my notepad, reviewing everything, I was like, huh, Virginia Tech played all right. Exceeded my expectations. But, uh, but yeah, let's go with Virginia Tech Purdue in the noon slate. I like that. That's, that's pretty important for both those programs. Purdue cannot. Well, they certainly could. It's within realm possibility, and, and maybe they will. But they, that's not a, that's not great vibes if you're starting out uh, like that. All right, Chat and Danny's going to go with uh, the game with no quarterbacks. Utah and Baylor. Ugh, Baylor. It's. I mean, look. So Bud had mentioned Baylor was down a couple corners. They got a safety knocked out of the game with an injury. That's not good going up against Texas State gets worse. We find out Blake Shapin, the Baylor starting quarterback, is going to miss a couple weeks. And here comes a Utah team that was basically able to tie one hands behind its back and beat an SEC team the week before. It is an early start, and maybe Baylor has a tremendous response, but that's a that's kind of a sad game when we thought about what both those teams were going to be prior to the year versus what we're going to see on the field. I, I, uh, I So I'll be Kyle Whittingham here for a second. Nope. No quarterbacks, huh? Tell me more about this idea. No, playing, <laughs> playing the game without quarterbacks, you say. Because we're going to see Bryson Barnes again, right? No I'm chance, intrigued. Right? Yeah. Uh, I Now, Rising was cleared for full activity yesterday. I saw a tweet. Apologies to whomever, uh, whomever sent the tweet. I, I, I see a lot of tweets. Uh, but he was cleared for full activity. It was, it was pro- probably on, on Utah 24-7, maybe Steve Bartle. Uh, but I still don't know if they're going to play him. Yeah, I wouldn't. I don't think you have to. Agreed. I think you can do the exact same game plan and get in and out of Waco with the win. If right. They lose by not playing. This this is totally getting clipped, by the way. <laughs> sure. Let's, uh, by us. Yeah. And she, yeah, we'll tell on ourselves. Come on, this is accountability. All right. Uh, all right, bud. I, I, I'm going back to the SEC non-conference matchups against the Pac-12. Give me Auburn going to Cal. Hugh Freeze is out there complaining about this game. And look, he can complain, but uh, if they don't win, Booster's going to be complaining a lot more because they, they do not expect uh, or accept a loss to Cal. But Cal looked a hell of a lot better last week. They they thumped North Texas, and it was uh, it was not close. They put like 55 on North Texas, I think. So very interesting one there. Um, how how soon can Auburn like really click? Because they, they handled UMass, but UMass is just not – UMass can't run, right? So – this is a little different. Cal's got some athletes. They actually did pretty good work in the transfer portal. I'm excited to watch it. The other one I'm really excited to watch here, Arizona-Mississippi State might be all t- all kinds of fun, guys. I know they're not like high, high-level teams, but they're pretty decent teams. And it's Jaden Delora, who's a chaos agent, regardless of, of whether he's playing well or playing not. And Mississippi State, which is kind of a chaos defense, this this could be a really fun one here. Um. 
Yes. Uh, for those, the, somebody in the chat says, uh, we haven't watched Cal. Is Cal a lot better? The offensive changes were apparent. Yeah. I mean, like they're actually trying to play offense and defense, which is a, a noticeable improvement <laughs> <laughs> from where they were. Uh, all right. Chat and Danny, we're here in the fourth round. Uh, what do we got? UCF, oh, that's a great Boise one. State. Worried about Boise State? I don't. I don't know if there was um, a team that I made bigger adjustments on in terms of what I'm expecting than Boise State, and that might be a mistake because it might just be that Washington is that damn good, or the way that the game played out was not good for how Boise wants to win. UCF, the other direction. Might be really good. So I'm, I'm excited to test both of those theories here. I've got no clue what will happen. That's a really good pick. Both of these teams are, are certainly built to stop the run more than the pass, I think. So this might come down to which quarterback, whether it's Taylor Green for Boise or John Rice Plumley for UCF, is able to hit some explosive plays through the air. So it's down to my final pick. I have to pick something from the 330 slate. And if you have not been listening for a long time, then you might not know exactly what's about to happen. Hit the trumpets! It's a big doubleheader on CBS, and it all gets started at 3.30 p.m. Eastern time with UNLV at Michigan. A UNLV team that, you know, what might be better or worse than we expected through one. Almost year. made a bowl last year. Came came, came very close. Uh, they're running the new exciting go-go offense uh, under, under Brennan Marion, the uh, the new offensive coordinator there. Longtime Arkansas defensive coordinator and uh, former Missouri head coach now as the head coach for uh, for the Rebs and. Michigan last week failed to cash in some opportunities, man. Like their defense played great, but the offense uh, could have could have done a little better down in the red zone. So maybe they maybe they do a little better this this week's scoring. We'll see. JJ McCarthy Heisman train continues in this game. They are just going to be able to continue to build up the amount of success that he has against all of these opponents, and it is going to create just a big old just pot of points and pot of yards that no matter what happens later in the year, there is going to be a good stat profile at the end of the season for J.J. McCarthy. Um, I, you know, Cornelius Johnson's going to get out there and get his. <laughs> How can Chip nail CBS trumpets but butcher inner Sandman so badly? Because I've been doing the trumpets for like seven years, and I just came up with the idea of trying to do inner Sandman on the fly. So I got to get back in the lab for sure. Uh, so yeah, give me Michigan UNLV. You can watch it on CBS. You can stream it on Paramount Plus. Kip Schiller's championship. <laughs> those are those are great picks. Um, if you guys thought that pick was was maybe not super enticing, got to stay true to my Big Ten West here. You know, guys, the storylines on this game are awesome. You get UTEP going to Chicago to play the team that thinks it's Chicago's team, but clearly uh, is not. Northwestern, Northwestern didn't score uh, before garbage time against Rutgers, right? Or did they not score at all? I turned it off. But Yeah, it they scored a touchdown at the very end of the game. Look, I mean, UTEP is actually favored 
at Northwestern in this one, which I'm not really sure they should be, but they are favored. But what are you going to put in for the home field for Northwestern? Uh, probably like the travel still matters. And I'm guessing okay. that does UTEP fly fly private? Like some of these Mac schools, I don't know if people realize this. They fly, uh, they do fly charter, but it's it's still not a great experience with some of the airlines they pick, I guess, from what I've been told. Uh, and some schools still bus. I assume that UTEP's going to fly. Like there's from no way El Paso, you're going to make them bus. I hope yeah, so. you got to fly. Yeah. Uh, so I'm sure somebody from UTEP will will send me a message about that. The travel is worth. I think the travel's worth one. Mm-hmm. The home field for Northwestern is probably like a half. It is the home opener. You'll still have some diehard fans like come out and and cheer and support the guys because the head coach got fired. But these guys are both like negative ten teams, right? Uh, probably, probably both worse than that. I think. Oh. I mean, Rutgers basically came out against Northwestern, went on two sixteen play drives, and then I think Shiano just kind of took pity on them, which was interesting because Northwestern all of a sudden tries a fake punt and like a throwback pass. I'm like, read the room, Northwestern coach, whatever his name is, like. Rutgers is not trying to run the ball, run the score up on you. They, they're taking they're taking pity on you, and you're like trying to I don't know uh, understand the concession. They remind me like when Ball State did that crazy stuff uh, against Tennessee. Was it last year, or two years ago? Remember they they're like going for it with like fakes on their own thirty. Like guys, Hypel is going to put a million on you now as, as retribution for for this. Like accept the accept the laydown. And why would you run good fakes in a game you can't win anyway? Right? Like don't you want to save those to, so you don't go winless? Yeah, so you run, run, yeah. put them on tape, empty the playbook um, right yeah. there. Not ideal. All right, so Tom, asterisk, drafted. Uh, Colorado, Nebraska in the early slate takes it to UTEP Northwestern for the midday, doubling up in primetime, Stanford, USC, and Oregon, Texas Tech. I'm going to get things started in Lane Stadium with Virginia Tech hosting Purdue. Then we take it to the big house for Michigan UNLV, a game you can see on CBS or stream on Paramount+. Plus. Then it's Bryant-Denny Stadium on one screen in primetime with Alabama and Texas, and Wisconsin's travel to Washington State for the other. Uh, the chat and Danny teamed up to give us Utah Baylor in the early window, followed by Texas A&M Miami midday alongside Iowa, Iowa State, and then UCF Boise State as the primetime pick. And then Bud is going to go with Notre Dame NC State in the early window, Ole Miss Tulane in the midday window, and then Arizona, see, Arizona Mississippi State. Is that primetime or midday? They're both late. Okay, and Arizona, Mississippi State, and Auburn Cal, both uh, late games. I know Auburn Cal, one of the last games of the night. I will say that also on my board for intrigue purposes, though maybe a little bit of a tough sell, includes uh, Texas State against UTSA. UTSA, kind of a heartbreaking loss against Houston. Uh, they lose by 3, 17, 14 in the opener. They're going to be at home, and I don't know what we're going to expect from a Texas state offense that just shredded Baylor can GJ Kinney do it again that that UTSA uh Texas State game has a has a lot of intrigue on my part that's a 3:30 midday kickoff that was one of the last ones that I had uh, on my board that didn't end up getting picked up somewhere also a really really good storyline game cuz Kenny played for Jeff Trailer in high school so kind of uh kind of interesting there Stanford USC 
uh, did get picked. Let me see. Oklahoma State, Arizona State is kind of a curious one, but both uh, Oklahoma State did not look very good. I know in, in the opening weekend, so that's uh, potentially a concern there. Uh, Tem- Temple Rutgers, mm, not doing it for me. No, no, but you you can't lose this ball game if you're Rutgers. Like you need to keep the momentum going since you got a Big Ten win. If you're going to make a bowl, like like you can't turn around and lose to Temple. Um, this is a Saturday only draft, so let's real quick. Kansas Illinois is one of the best games of the week in general. That's a Friday night game, uh, Friday night, seven thirty p.m. Eastern time. Kansas playing at home uh, as a short, I guess, three point dog. Um, what what do we expect from that one? So uh, Illinois' secondary was kind of as bad as we expected it to be in the opener. They had like five penalties, which extended drives. I don't know that Kansas's defense is appreciably better than it was last year. Altmeyer looks pretty good for Illinois. Daniels didn't play for Kansas right. in the opener, but they've they've said that he has returned to practice and, and should play. If he's healthy, I think it's a very high point total, with the exception that uh, none of these teams run a whole lot of, of of no huddle, so it's like not an automatic over. You know what I'm saying? Because the, the pace. Uh, especially with the new clock rules. We don't really know how they're going to utilize these new clock rules. But defensively, both teams have uh, have some clear weaknesses, which should be exploited. Pitt oh, SMU-Oklahoma is interesting, too. Yeah. I think that that's uh, – we at least will get a, a decent test on whether or not Oklahoma's defense – like, was that just Arkansas State? Or do they have the beef? You know? Are they really beefed up on that side of the ball? Um, Pitt and Cincinnati, hate to let that one hit the cutting room floor. It is the beginning of the CW era for the ACC. It's the very first CW game. So shout out to uh, the good folks at Raycom and uh, and you know the fine purveyors of One Tree Hill and other such programming. We're going to go to the CW for, uh, for Pitt and Cincinnati. Um, Let's see if there's anything else. Is that the one with like the coffee shop they're all talking, or is that Seventh Heaven? Uh, that's Friends. No, no, I know what Friends is. I'm, okay. not, I'm not, not that far off. <laughs> um, there's one where there's like like a, a this is, I mean, there's a town, and like they all it, I don't know. It's it's one of those C. It's it's a CW show. Um and yeah, Arizona State Oklahoma State should be interesting. I was uh it was. That, that's one where the, the machine spit out like, hey, Oklahoma State should win this game. And I said, machine, no. We are not going to be that confident about what's going to happen in this game. I, it's probably my least confident game of the weekend. I'm going to have to watch like the whole thing because I, I have no idea what to expect. Like Alan Bowman looked terrible for Oklahoma State in the opener, but yet that's who Oklahoma State took in the portal. I do. I think uh, Gilmore Girls is what I'm thinking of, by the way. Okay, thank you. That's I, I knew it was one of those shows. Coaching matchup-wise, I think Kennedy Dillingham's a rising star. Mike Gundy's been really good at this for a long time. Matt Rule said the one coach that he he really hated facing back when he was in the Big 12 was Gundy. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a big one for, for, for Dillingham's staff, for sure, to see if they can rise to the occasion. I don't think anybody really expects them to, but if they do, it, it's huge for that program. Yeah, 100%. All right. You know the drill. Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, we are going to be back with all of our best bets in our Week 2 Locks episode. And until then, you can follow him on Twitter at BudElliott3. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. 
But thank you very much. See you, buddy.